I was waiting for you. I was waiting for you to finish your stories about waiting. So I'm guessing that some of you have been waiting in a line, like to get a coffee, and you're not sure you're going to have time to even get the coffee. And like it's happened to me, I want to catch a plane, and I realized it's just not going to happen. I got to get out of this line. I have to let go of the moment. Some of us have been waiting for a parking space. You're just looking for those lights, those tail lights. Like, isn't somebody please going to come and move their car? Even to the extent that you might follow someone as they come out of a store and head maybe toward their car. You're hoping not to just put packages in, but to actually move their car. If you're female, you wait a lot for the restroom. I'm just saying that a lot of times architects don't realize how many women's restrooms are needed in order for women to like be able to get into the concert or into worship because we need to wait. Do we like waiting? Mostly no. We're not a culture that thinks waiting is a desirable thing. In fact, we're a culture that's more interested in finding the fastest route, right? You're checking it on your phone. You have three choices. Which one is two minutes faster? It even tells us, oops, there is now a faster route. Something's changed. We want to take advantage of all the opportunities that we have to save time. We look at when we're checking out of the grocery market, which line do you want to go in? The shortest line, right? The same day delivery, or even better, two hours? Could I get it any faster? We are a hurried people. But maybe you're not a person who's always in a rush, but our culture says that saving time is one of our values. We're not very good at waiting, but we are good at hurrying. So maybe when we do this, we miss out on some of what God has for us. Maybe there is something life-giving about being in, with God in the waiting. Pastor John Ortberg put it this way, hurry is not just a disordered schedule, hurry is a disordered heart. Ouch. Could it be that the urgent, the frantic, the hurry that happens at this most vulnerable time of the year, I mean wonderful time of the year, is not what God has for us. I think, especially as a mom or a dad, we can end up feeling like somehow Christmas is up to us. We're trying to make something happy happen for the family. There was a book that I really enjoyed when my kids were in elementary school called Unplug the Christmas Machine. And in it, William Irvin coined a phrase called misliving. And somehow at Christmas time, in the midst of planning special gatherings for family and friends and hoping to find or finish making gifts that will delight young and old, we step into this danger that Irvin describes. There is a danger that you will mislive, that despite all your activity, Despite all the pleasant diversions you may have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you've accidentally squandered it because you allowed yourself <clears throat> to be distracted, excuse me, <clears throat> by the various baubles that life has to offer. The various baubles that life has to offer. For me, those can be just the perfect candles and cranberries on the table. It could be just the right meal prepared for the family. 
It could be just the right outfit to wear on just the right occasion. It can be so distracting to try to get it right. So today's scripture offers a solution. It offers a new way and guidance, both for those who find themselves waiting and for those who find themselves rushing. So we're gonna look at these three scenes that were read to us. We're gonna look at Mary and Joseph and at Simeon and at Anna. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Gracious God, whatever circumstances uh, we find ourselves in this morning, whether we're, we're waiting uh, for news, waiting for test results, waiting for something to happen that we long for, or whether we're sort of rushed and even find ourselves thinking like, what do I need to do after worship today and, and how am I gonna fit it all in? God, we ask that you would meet us in this space today, that we would hear from you, that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would not only be acceptable, but would actually be a word of life coming from you. So God, uh, join our hearts to yours in this time of worship, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to consider this scripture in sort of three scenes. And they have to do with these three people. They're in, the, in your bulletin, three uh, like sets of people. So the first set is Mary and Joseph. We all know the story of the baby Jesus delivered in a manger scene. We don't maybe know what happened after that. In Jewish custom, Mary, having delivered a baby, would be unclean for at least 40 days, and she would need to go to the temple for the rites of purification, which involved offering a sacrifice, which included two turtle doves, something like that, which you have in the 12 days of Christmas. So these rites of purification, if you had a boy, were about 40 days afterwards, and if you had a girl, you had to add 20 days, because that's how it was. So... This is kind of an appointed time, an intentional time that Mary and Joseph as parents are doing what it's customary to do. They're sort of doing the right thing, if you will. So they make their journey, and I am actually so curious. We don't know where were they staying. Were they still in the manger for 40 days? Or like, did room open up at the inn and they got a hotel? Or did some community member come along and say, hey, we see you've had a baby. Come like, live with us while you're waiting. But they waited somehow, somewhere. And they make their journey to the temple. When they get to the temple, they're going to make their sacrifice, and Mary is going to go through these purification rites of blessing, and they could dedicate their baby at the same time, because it was eight days after his circumcision. Now, it does happen that you don't even have to have the baby there, but the baby could be blessed like in absentia. So they have this scheduled appointment, and they show up for this appointment. I in, in our three stories today, uh, the first one I would like to highlight for parents, sometimes it's just about showing up. You think it's the right thing to do, it's probably the right thing to do. Like, just put that appointment with God in your schedule and in your family's schedule. You've all showed up today. It's customary to worship God on Sunday, to, to put aside this hour and a half or two and a half hours by the time you come and go, whatever it is, uh, to set aside to worship God. It's even this, this day is meant to be a Sabbath day, to be reminded, to rest in God, to kind of put the presence of God right in front of us, to draw near to God. 
It's actually God's intention that we would regularly have these kind of intentional appointments, if you will, that we would visit with God, that we would invite God to be present to us. Psalm 130 says, stay in God's word as you wait. Waiting is not a passive thing, it's an active thing. So if you're waiting for God to act, you wanna put yourself in the presence of God so that he can act. When I was a kid, we used to get together with my extended family. I'm half Armenian, this would be the Armenian side of the family. It would be a blend of Armenian feasting with dolmas and such and American traditions and all the cousins and there was a kid's table and all the classic things. And years went by, like a decade or so, and pretty soon there were teenage boys in the extended family who no longer thought that this was a fun thing to do, just eating dinner together and playing some games, not sufficient. So the family who was hosting this one year said, we're going to change the tradition. Now, if you're a family that's headed into times, little rocky times uh, at family traditions around the holidays, it is good to change it up. You know, being together is the main point. So this family hosted kind of a weekend away at the beach, and they instituted a new flag football game on the beach for the family. Now, there were some older people that did not care to participate in flag football. So we had to add another part of the tradition, which was we went for a walk on the Santa Cruz boardwalk. And at the Santa Cruz boardwalk, it happened that there was a giant vintage carousel. And my mom remembered riding that carousel at the Fleischacker Zoo in San Francisco when she was a kid. And she began to tell this story that got me kind of all excited um, because I was still of an age when that sounded really fun to ride this, uh, this amazing carousel. So she began to tell like her story with the carousel. The carousel had various animals, you've seen it. Some of them go up and down, some of them are just benches, some of them are stationary animals. And as this beautiful golden carousel goes around, plays that crazy music, there was a, an opportunity to grab for the brass ring. Have any of you heard of this? There, there was a like a, I don't know, a container that these rings would come down. So you had to put yourself on an outside and you had to not be on a horse that was stationary because you had to be on a horse that was going to go, or an animal, that was going to go up high enough that you could reach for the ring. You had to be a little bit coordinated enough to stand up on the horse, hold onto the pole, reach for the ring, pull the ring down, and while the whole thing is moving. Okay, there is a type of waiting for this moment, right? But there was also a lot of work that goes into just putting yourself in the position to get the brass ring. So we did all of this. And the, the teenagers, I was like a young teenager, were all on the outside. Most of us are on horses that go up and down. Some of us are just like, I'm just going to stand on the horse and like hold on and reach out, you know, gymnastics move. And sure enough, we start grabbing the rings, grabbing the rings. There was no brass ring. They were all just chrome rings that time around. So, you, you know, we just kind of kept going around until eventually the brass ring came, but none of us got it. Okay, point being that when you're waiting, there's a lot of preparations to be done. You kind of have to put yourself in a position to get a ring at all 
and to get the brass ring. So the person that we're gonna look at right now is Simeon. Simeon puts himself in a position to receive promises from God. Simeon's a faithful Jew. He worships God. He's an older man by the time we pick up the story, and he's heard from God several times. And one of the things that he heard from God, from the Holy Spirit, was a promise, you won't die until you see the consolation, like the promise, the fulfillment of the promise to Israel. So Simeon is kind of going around the merry-go-round of his life, if you will, and he's waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. So this is our second person that we're gonna look at. He's waiting with expectation. He's living this life of like, I wonder when it's gonna be. It's going to happen. He's holding on to this promise, but he doesn't know exactly when it's going to be. He has this close relationship with God. And I really wonder what he was doing that day when he felt the nudge to go to the temple. If, if it was our day, I sort of picture him like, was he at his desk answering email? Was he doing chores in the yard? Was he maybe making a meal for the family, buying groceries? Was he at a work meeting? What was he doing that he gets this prompting, go to the temple? So he goes. He was waiting with this expectation of the promise being fulfilled. And I wonder if, as he had that nudge, had he had the nudge before? Or, or was this just a unique, had he showed up at the temple thinking, okay, God, what are you going to do? And on this day, it comes to pass. Okay, this is a series of football stories in my sermon today. Because while not on the uh, sand, Thanksgiving football game, um, I did enjoy playing football with my team in high school. We had girls flag football. And I got to play going both directions, offense and defense, because I was a line person. So I knew how to be on the offensive line, defend the quarterback, make sure nobody gets through, and on the defensive line, like heads up, look alert, see what's gonna happen, and try to get to their quarterback. So uh, as an offensive line person, uh, I was excited because in the coach's playbook, there was one play where the line person was going to actually receive the ball. It was like about if you were on, you needed short yardage with like two or three yards to go, maybe for a score, but maybe just to get a first down, you're going to just go out, turn around really quickly so that nobody can get to the quarterback and catch the ball. So this is so exciting that there might be this opportunity. But the coach said, now, Kendi, we don't use this play very often because it's kind of obvious and the quarterback's really vulnerable. So, you know, just maybe a, a one time this season, the play will be called well. It happened. We were on short yardage for a touchdown. And the play got called, and I was so excited. I was probably like going like this, like completely signaling to the other team that something exciting is happening for me. <laughs> I go out my two and a half yards. I turn around. I dropped. Dropped the ball. Now, we won the game. We were the champions that year, so it's really great. But the point being, <laughs> it wasn't all up to me, thankfully. Point being, I had to be ready for when that play was called. I was expectant that it was going to be called, but I just didn't know when it was going to be. And that's the case with Simeon. And I think it's the case with a lot of us. We're waiting for an answer. 
We're waiting for test results. We're waiting. We're wa- I remember waiting for my husband to propose, like we're dating, we're dating. Come on now, make the proposal. Waiting, when's it gonna come? We're waiting for something that we have a sense is coming. It's a big decision. It's a hard conversation. It's news that we're not sure if it's going to be good or bad. And in that waiting, God invites us essentially to prepare ourselves, to be expecting that his promises will be fulfilled, that God will be with us. We want to be sort of ready for whatever call God's going to make. Simeon had heard God's voice before. He'd he'd spoken to Simeon and made this promise. He's just waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. I think of another scripture where the promises of God come into being, where Jacob is wrestling with God, and all of a sudden, God speaks and says, remember, I am with you. I will not leave you until I've done to you what I have promised. And Jacob awoke and said, surely the Lord is in this place. God's promises are coming to pass like I'm seeing it happen. So Simeon's promise is fulfilled and he ends up praying over Jesus, the one who is to come, the Messiah. Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and says to God, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. When we see Jesus, we see salvation. Simeon was probably not expecting salvation to come in the form of a little baby. He was expecting a victorious Israel. He was expecting like new heaven, new earth right now through Israel. And prior to seeing Jesus, Simeon had a lot. He had the scriptures, he had the temple, he had a great sense of community, he had his own faith, But it's not until he sees Jesus that he recognizes what salvation is. God's salvation is in the person of Jesus. God has sent a savior, a Messiah. God's vision is centered on this little baby growing to be a man who will bring wholeness and peace and joy and salvation to all nations, to all peoples over all time. It's a pretty amazing promise. And Simeon had the eyes to see it because he was expecting God to show up. So we see Mary and Joseph like showing up for God with their regular appointment, if you will. We see Simeon having been given a promise from God that that God is going to fulfill that promise before he dies. So he's looking for it. He's waiting for it. Sometimes we pray, give us eyes to see. And that was Simeon. He had eyes to see that this salvation had come into the world. Now, back when I was on that merry-go-round, and maybe about when I got off of it, I was remembering that my, I was in a freshman year in high school, and we were reading in my AP English class a poem by Langston Hughes. And it said this, merry-go-round, merry-go-round, I watch the others go up and down, but you see they're not black like me. Why can't I ride the merry-go-round? And it was the tragedy to him 
of the distinction in my lifetime, in, in, not in Santa Cruz, California, but in the US, there were places where because of the color of your skin, you were not allowed to go certain places or do certain things. You, you were separated, you were segregated. And, and the message that Hughes was trying to say is, it's not right, it's not right. So it is with God in the person of Jesus. He identifies that in Christ there is salvation for Israel. Christ is the consolation, the fulfillment, the glory, if you will, of Israel. But we see through Anna's words, who we're going to look at next, that Jesus is not only the fulfillment of Israel, he is the fulfillment for all people everywhere. So as Simeon is praying for Jesus, Anna, who we're going to look at now, Anna is this widow who lives in the temple. She's at least 84 years old. She was married for seven years before her husband passed away, and she either has been a widow for 84 years, which would make her like maybe about 100, or she's a total of 84 years old, we're not sure which. But when her husband dies, she becomes kind of the lowest class in Israel. She's a widow. She can't take care of herself. She can't own property. She can't have a job. She doesn't have a man to uh, provide for her. Now, aren't there times in our own lives when we look at others and say, I don't have what they have. Had Anna been in our day today and she checked out Facebook or the Christmas card letters that were coming, she would have looked at her own life and said, wow, why, why is this not my life? Why am I not smiling in these photos with my happy family? Why am I a widow? Why am I alone? Why didn't it happen for me this way? But she doesn't do that. She takes her brokenheartedness and she moves right into the temple. Literally, she lives in the temple. She puts herself into the presence of God. She doesn't abandon God. She, whatever anger, whatever disappointment she has, she takes it to God. And she takes up residence in the temple. And not only that, but she fasts and prays. Now, what does fasting have to do with it? Well, there's a giant uh, way that fasting makes room, like in your schedule, in your thinking. We do like to worry about what we will eat and what we will drink and what we will do tomorrow. And Anna took kind of those questions right out of her mind and took them to God. She presented herself to God. And Anna is there uh, as a person whose quality I'd like to highlight of being alert. So she's in the temple, and in the midst of her loss, in the midst of her crisis, she has turned to God. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Let your heart take courage. So Anna puts herself in a position to receive from God. As she's fasting and praying, she's, she's noticing what God is doing. Now, this would be football analogy number three. As a defensive line person, uh, one of our jobs is to defend the quarterback, and the other would be to keep your eye on the ball, right? Because if the ball comes loose, uh, you have a real opportunity. You just have to see it happen. 
And sometimes we've seen huge plays, Seahawks 2014, Richard Sherman goes up and tips the ball in the end zone away from the 49er and the other guy catches it. The two of them were hyper alert. I had one such opportunity on the defensive line. All of a sudden, the ball was loose, and it was like my brain was in slow motion. Ball is loose, ball is loose, get the ball. And I like threw myself onto the ball, redeeming the time when I dropped the touchdown pass. <laughs> but being alert to the moment, having our eyes open to see what is happening, what is God doing? This is the example that Anna gives us. Both Simeon and Anna saw God act, and they blessed and thanked God. When God acts, his people worship, they build an offer, altar, they offer a sacrifice, they sing and dance. And this is what happened to Anna. She broke into a praise anthem. And, and she talked about the child and all who were waiting for the, for the freeing of Israel. It's kind of like the women who went to Jesus' tomb and saw that it was empty on Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday, and they went out and told everybody what they had seen. So it is with Anna. She sees the moment. She sees that God is right here, right now. Wouldn't it be great if that were us? That we had this awareness of God being on the move, that he's given us eyes to see, that we could be part of what God's doing. So today, as we've looked at these three people, this is what I hope will carry it away. That first of all, have these planned times to be with God. Just like Mary and Joseph did, be intentional. We have this great um, devotional called With. And honestly, like five, seven minutes by yourself, with your family, light a candle, read the devotional. Put your mind in the presence of God. If you want more than that, I, there's a great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by Pastor John Mark Comer. Put yourself into God's presence this Advent. Light a candle. Sit by your Christmas tree, look out the window, walk around the lake without anything, any headphones on. Let yourself be with God because God wants to meet with you. Take a few minutes like Mary and Joseph and just show up. Bring your attention to God. Secondly, we're called to be like Simeon, to expect God to show up. When, when the circumstances of your life are not what you hope they would be, when you, when you know that God's promised something but you don't see it happen, can you expect God's gonna show up somehow? What's God gonna do in this situation? Look for God in the toughest situations of life. Look for God to fulfill those promises, those nudges that you've experienced. And then thirdly, like Anna, be alert. Notice the moment. Notice what someone else is saying. Take the time to attend to other people. There's a huge confirmation from the community that came from Anna when she saw Simeon blessing Mary and Joseph and blessing Jesus. She was like, oh, something's happening. And, and she broke out in song. Could you be that kind of person who notices the good thing? Notices the blessing that another person is giving, who give thanks for that person. Encourage the person who's down. Be someone who notices that God is at work.
So we live in a culture that says more is better, faster is better. And what God is offering us this Advent is a rhythm of grace instead. In Matthew, Jesus says this, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you even burned out on religion, maybe on Christmas? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn. How would we learn the unforced rhythms of grace? My closing story is this. My husband and I longed to have a child and went through a lot of infertility treatments and then eventually stepped into an adoption process and we had uh, adopted our daughter from birth. She was age three when we really felt like it was time that we were longing uh, to add another child to our family and so we turned in those adoption papers about July 1 and about July, I think it was two maybe it was June 29th or July 1, something like that. We got a telephone call that there was going to be, that there was a baby. It was like nine days before this baby was born. And when we were there at the hospital, I was given a hospital room. Even though I wasn't expecting the baby from my own body, I was expecting the baby to go home with me. So the hospital had one hall on one side. They gave me a room on that side. They had this like center area and then they had another hall on the other side and they gave the birth mom a room on that side. And the birth mom uh, wanted, as soon as the baby was delivered, for the baby to be taken away and given to us. And so this process involved the physical, like baby is born, so exciting. Nurse came and got me and said, baby is born, come into the, we're gonna meet in this center area in this room that was kind of a waiting room, if you will, set aside. And so baby was whisked in and there was a couple of nurses and I think the doctor who delivered him and a chaplain and we came, my husband and I came in the door and there, there this is this plastic sort of bassinet and this tiny baby wrapped in so many clothes that like all I could see was this little face and the chaplain says this is your son and I remember like just in that moment it was like slow motion like this is my son? How can this be? And I just sort of stood there dumbfounded. And the chaplain said, pick him up. (laughs) Right? Like, make the connection. Like, receive what God has for you. And and I picked him up. and, And now he's a grown man and married and it's amazing. What kind of gift is God wanting to give you? What kind of moment might you be missing? Because you're kind of preoccupied with it not turning out exactly the way you had in mind. Friends, be aware. Be expectant. Be alert to what God's wanting to do this Advent season. Please pray with me. Great God, we do come with open hands. We come knowing that your promises are true that Jesus is for all people, for all time, and yet we do get so distracted uh, by the baubles of the season. Uh, It's such a beautiful season, twinkling lights and beautiful music. And God, I pray that these things would point us to you, that we would remember, that we would take courage in the waiting, that we would know that you have come to be God with us, that you are indeed King of kings and Lord of lords, 
So God, would that be true in our hearts and in our schedules? Would we find ourselves um, turning toward you and making space for you? So come, Lord Jesus, meet us right now as we sing together, as we worship together. Give us this assurance that you are God with us. In Jesus' name, amen.